chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'd like to begin in verse 1. And uh, this is a familiar story, so don't fall into the trap of saying, I know that story, and uh, zone out. Because I'm going to try to draw some some good things out of this here uh, tonight. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Bible says there, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hizvites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's ask the Lord to minister here tonight through his word. Lord, I am thankful. Lord, for your presence. I'm thankful, Lord, for the prayer. I'm thankful, Lord, for the singing. I'm thankful, Lord, for the witness, God, of your blessing, Lord, in various people's lives. Lord, now I'm asking you to take, Lord, this book, this word, and that, God, that you would somehow, Lord, help, Lord, every one of us, God, to see our true purpose, Lord, in your kingdom. That somehow, God, that you would help us, Lord, to advance and move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Simple title. And uh, it's a Sunday school story. 
Uh, if you've been in Sunday school for any length of time, you have heard somebody tell this story here. There's something about it that one of the most comforting aspects of uh, relationship with the Lord is that you know that uh, there are are things that are called his attributes or his uh, descriptions, various things like that. Some of them um, are considered incommunicable, which means that we can't have them. Uh, they are like self-existence and immutability and eternality and that God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. These are the attributes of God that we cannot uh, have any part of. But there are some that, that we are to pursue, and the Lord tells us that, that uh, attributes like wisdom and truth and goodness and justice and love and mercy and perhaps even His highest one, which is called holiness. And whenever there you look at Scripture, there are others that could be mentioned, but these ones that I have mentioned here to you tonight are the ones that we would consider that, they're the, that are the primary attributes of God. And they play in really directly into the life of Moses as he approaches the burning bush. If you have your Bible open, I want you to look at the previous chapter and look at what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 and beginning around about verse 15. The Bible says, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, and he dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And, and they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us, and he watered the flock. You say, how in the world does the um, attributes of God play out in this particular verse? Is because some details that when you start looking back, this passage that I read to you here tonight in Exodus chapter two, it 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 matters. Why does it matter? Because if you go back to Genesis chapter twenty-five, the the Bible tells us that Abraham, he had a wife whose name was Sarah. The Bible tells us that whenever Sarah died, that uh, he went and he found him another wife. And um, anyways, I'll move on past that without getting bogged down. Uh, but he found a, a woman whose name was Keturah. And why in the world would that be important was because that uh, in passing, one of those sons was a 
man by the name of Midian. And so here that you look that Exodus chapter 2 finds Moses going to spend some time with the Midianites. And it's just, it's just pretty amazing when you start tracking it down that, that somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 years after Midian has been born, what does God do? God intersects Moses with the sons of Midian. And uh, so I'm going to just tell you here tonight, that's God's sovereignty at work. God is working centuries ahead uh, before you ever even got here. I believe that. I, I, I know that sometimes we get to the point where that, that we may think about working for retirement somewhere 30, 40 years off out in the distance and we start mapping and planning out those sorts of things, but but here is the sovereignty of God at play, and that's this, is that, is that God is already... How does God work? He works from the end backwards. God knows how the end turns out, and so whenever God begins to work, He's working from, from backwards, and He knows our days. He understands where uh, that we're at. And so if God was working in the life of Moses 400 years before He ever landed there in uh, that place, then I would just encourage you here tonight that God is working in that same manner in your life. He was working in your life back in the 1600s and the 1700s and, and the 1800s and, and the challenges that, that you faced last week, the ones that you'll face next month, the Lord has already navigated down every single one of those paths and He knows how it's going to turn out and the Lord's got it worked out. And so if God is preparing Moses to come along four centuries before he's heading into that desert, then why in the world would he do that? I believe the answer is found uh, in verse 19. The Bible says there, And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us, and, and he watered a flock. And that is a part where that whenever they look at him, they, they think that this guy is an Egyptian. But the Bible is already clearly stipulated to us. And, and not only do we know there from uh, the previous chapter there in uh, Exodus, we know that, that Moses is a Hebrew. But, but here it is that whenever they look at him, what do they see? They, they don't see a Hebrew. They uh, see an Egyptian, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. He makes that identity just as clear because here's what he tells us. He said that, that Moses, what did he do? He chose to suffer with the people of God. He chose to suffer with those, those Hebrews. And so it is that Moses is a Hebrew, but he looks like an Egyptian. And so how is the Lord going to work that out uh, there in his life. The Lord's going to take him somewhere so that he can get Egypt worked out of his system. And, and he had been surrounded there in Egypt by those idolatrous gods there in the Egyptian courts and there immersed in the Egyptian culture. And, and so it was that even though by blood the Bible tells us that he was a Hebrew, it appears to us that Egypt had gotten in 
uh, to his head. And I'm just going to tell you here now that holiness and separation, they still matter. They, they still matter. I, I would, again, just point this out, and these are observations that, that, that I have made over the years, and that's this, that, that if a person's life ever starts turning toward the world after they, had, they have been converted, it's very difficult to get them back into a place of biblical separation. And I would just say that not only for an individual, but it's also the case for a church that whenever churches begin to drift and go in the wrong direction, it is very difficult to get those churches turned around, coming back to where that they used to be. I don't want that to happen here in this house as long as I am the pastor of the Pentecostals of Dothan. There's got to be a vigilance and there has to be a sobriety because there there's an anointing that we have to protect here in this place. And so holiness and separation, they matter because here is, is Moses. He is uh, getting to Midian, but he literally looks like an Egyptian. And that is the goal of this world is to try to change your identity and to try to change your, your, your behavior so that you fit in and you look like an Egyptian. So what should be our response to that? Well, Leviticus chapter 20 and verses 23 through 26 here is what, and I'll just summarize those, uh, that whenever Moses writes there in the book of Leviticus, you are not going to walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. That's what he told him. He said, whenever you get into this promised land, he said, here's what I want you to understand, that, that I am going going to drive them out. But even though you may be in their land, you cannot afford to let their customs get into your own worship and into your own prayer and into your own singing and your praise. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 14, here is what the Bible says. As, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, what does he call it? Lust. In your what? That's pretty amazing that the Word of God would stipulate and say that you can't afford to fall into the trappings of lust and fall into the place of living at a point of spiritual ignorance. But here's what he says. But, but as he who is called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, ye shall be holy, for I am holy. And there are a lot of other scriptures that we could move into that place. You, you find it in, in heaven, in Revelation 4 and 8, and in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4. What do we find in heaven? We find holiness there in heaven. And it's appalling to me that whenever you live in a day that wants to push back against holiness, and they say, oh, I'm going to go to heaven where well, you're going to find holiness in heaven are you going to push against holiness when you get to heaven I got a feeling that you won't make it to heaven if you push against holiness down here holiness will I mean uh, worldliness will wreck your mind 
It will so corrupt you that you have zero discernment and understanding. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep at it about these spiritual gifts that I believe that every one of us ought to pursue after. But know this: if there's gonna be some giftings in my life, then there's only also gonna have to be an undergirding of character, and there's gonna have to be an undergirding of the fruit of the spirit that's in my life. Because here's the thing: if you have the gifts and you don't have the fruit. If you have the gifts and the power, but you have no character, those gifts will destroy your life. Now, I'm afraid that there are times where that there have been others that have, have enjoyed the, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, but they enjoyed the giftings more than they did the communion with the Lord, and so it wrecked the direction that they were in. But whenever you start giving consideration to the fact that God's sovereignty was at work there about getting Moses out of Egypt is now that God's got him in that point. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I've got to redefine who you are, Moses. You're still a Hebrew, but what's happened is you've been immersed in a culture that has tried to destroy and tear apart your identity. And so in Egypt, he got head knowledge. In Midian, he would learn hard work. In Egypt, he got their wisdom. But in Midian, he would learn their labor. In Egypt, he was a student. But in Midian, he was a worker. In Egypt, he lived among the books. And in Midian, he lived with the wild animals. In Egypt, he learned worldly wisdom. But in Midian, he was reacquainted with monotheistic worship that said there is only one God and there's a revelation of who that God is. It is the mighty I am. That's what he said. He said, whenever I get in there to the courts of Pharaoh, who in the world am I going to tell them sent me? He says, you tell them that I am. I don't find it a mistake that whenever you get to the book of John that the Pharisees begin to accuse the Lord. Now what is the Lord's identity? He said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, before Abraham was, was I am that tells me right there that there is a God first Timothy 3.16 that was robed or manifested in the flesh that when you see Jesus Christ you have seen God and so the Lord is working to reorient that deal and so what does God do? God uses wilderness places to work out holiness to work out revelation in our hearts and in our spirits. Oh Lord, I'll tell y'all, y'all are, I feel the, I, I feel about an hour and a half sermon coming on because y'all are just egging it on here tonight. Man, I just feel liberty and authority here in this place. And I got a timer going. I'm going to try to pay attention to it. I got 24 minutes and 54 seconds left to go. Uh, but Scripture is very straightforward about consecrated living, but, but the majority of this world, they can't even begin to imagine the fact that, that what it is like to live in a place that there is no worldly attractions. They're convinced that you can mix Egypt and Midian, and God said, I, I'm not going to let you do that, Moses. I'm going to pull you out of Egypt, and I'm going to drop you down there in Midian because there's something that I'm going to do in your heart and in your spirit. Matthew Henry, he said this. This is this is powerful. I, I got a pink highlighter, and uh, 
because they don't make red highlighters, or if they do, I don't, hadn't found them yet. And I, I circled all around this, and then I wrote this quote is fire. Let me read it to you. Here's what it says. It says, the heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both loves. The world draws down the heart from God. And so the more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God dwindles and decays. The Spirit of God in true Christians is opposed to the spirit of the world. Your heart is narrow. And uh, bless Dorothy Rain's heart when I was a kid. We couldn't listen to country music, thank God. Uh, but whenever we go to the library with with uh, Ms. Rain, she always listened to uh, WTVY 95.5. And I'm just going to tell you, you listen to that even just a short drive. And there's one song that stuck in my mind. It said, trying to love two women is like a ball and chain. One of them's got your money and the other one's got your heart. I think that was the Oak Ridge boys that got to singing that. They, they didn't even realize that they were preaching what Matthew Henry was talking about because there's no room for two women in your life. You men need to remember that, okay? I don't care how cute she is, and I don't care how flirtatious that she is at work. You've if you, you got to be a one-woman man. You, you've got to also be a one God person that you've got to say, you know what, I've got a focus in my life and I only love the Lord Jesus Christ and I don't have room enough for this world. There's got to be a desire in my heart that says I'm focused in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the Lord. So it is that you start seeing God's sovereignty at work. What is it? It's to purify Moses. But it's not only just to purify Moses. It is to say, you know what? I'm going to save those people that are locked down in captivity there in Egypt. And I'm going to use Moses to do that. Can I tell you something about spiritual leadership? And it's this. Is that before God's going to be able to use you fully as a leader that you want to be, he's going to have to pull you out of some things he's going to have to separate you from some things and then he's going to have to anoint you with a purpose so that you are so obsessed with the calling of God on your life no matter what it is that you say here's the direction I'm going and here's what I'm going after and I'm just determined that I want the Lord to work in my heart and in my spirit and so it is that 40 years, it takes a long time sometimes for the Lord uh, to do his work. And so it was 40 years of worth of work. But finally, one day Moses is brought out the backside of the desert, the backside of the wilderness there. And, and, uh, and most likely his dreams have probably died a thousand times there in that place. And he kept wondering, when's the Lord going to work? When's the Lord going to help? And uh, we're going to pray for Brother Jonathan. Uh, this comes to mind while I'm... He was supposed to be leading the service tonight. And he was supposed to be leading the service this morning. But his job right now has got his world turned 
upside down. And I have no doubt that he's got a burden to get to Bulgaria. But right now, a job seemingly has got him twisted upside down. Don't let your dream die, Brother Jonathan. You tell Sister Amanda that as well. Don't let your, your outward circumstances suck the life out of a dream and a calling that the Lord has placed in your heart and your spirit because what is God doing? He may have you in a wilderness sometimes to say, hang on, I'm going to turn you into a deliverer. I'm going to turn you into somebody that is filled with power and with purpose, but you've got to go to the wilderness first. I, 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 know, I know about that. I think that anybody that's serving the Lord can know something about that as well. But 40 years, the Lord used that to bring Moses a wife. Her name was Zipporah, and he had two sons. One of them was named Gershom which means a stranger from a strange land or a foreigner. And then he had another one by the name of Eleazar, which means that God is my help. Now here's just some technical information that I think may be beneficial for all of us, but the first two chapters of Exodus covers 400 years of tribulation and the last 38 chapters of the book of Exodus covers the year of their liberation. So when we read the Bible, here's what we think. We, you're reading the Bible and you think, bang, 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 bang. It's happening quickly. Sometimes we read the book of Acts like that. We read one chapter after another chapter after another chapter, not realizing that the book of Acts was somewhere over a 35 to maybe even perhaps a 45-year time passage. But when you're reading the Bible, it's like it's bang, bang, bang. It's happening so fast. But that's the way that life is. Sometimes it seems like it just creeps along. And so those two first chapters cover 400 years of tribulation. The last 38 is the year of their liberation. And look there at the end of Exodus chapter 2. What, what does the Bible say? Look at verse 23. It says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of, their, of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. They were in a place of harsh, harsh condi conditions. And so when you start looking, uh, the Lord says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to show up. And so in verse 1, what, what do we see there? If you're taking notes here tonight, I don't have any candy bars to pass out. But uh, verses 1 and 2, what, what is there? It's the awe of God. I got a lot out of that Last Sunday night, Brother Justin was preaching. I didn't get a candy bar. I had the right answers, and they didn't give me a candy bar. So, uh, But look at that, verse 1. Now, M Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel 
And the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of, the, of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not concerned. And so it is that the Bible tells us, and I love how this is wrote out. These are some pretty good details that Moses is, he's rambling around, the Bible says. And he gets there, he gets to the backside of the desert, and more times than not, that's the location that God uses to do sometimes his strangest but most powerful work. And Moses thought he was there at the backside of the desert, just kind of rambling around. And yet, here it is that God said, wait a second, I'm about to intersect uh, with him. But there's another hint that we see there uh, in the scriptures as well. And it talks about that, that not only is he there on the backside of the desert, but he is there at the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And so it is that it looks like it's the backside of the desert, but God says, hey, Hang on, Moses, I've got not only the backside of a desert there, but I've got a mountain where I exist and where I live. And so whenever I start looking at this matter, that don't ever discount the work that God is doing in that desert because there's a mountain that's attached to it. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, a burning bush was in that place. Exodus 18 and 5, Moses literally lets the mountain of God absorb him. What a powerful thought that is that when you read about Exodus 18 and 5, that, that it, it absorbs him. That's what I want in my life. I, Sister Kayla, I want God to absorb me in everything that I do and everything that I'm after. I want the purpose of God to so absorb my mind and my spirit. Exodus 18, 5. Exodus 19 and 3. The Bible tells us that it's there that, that Moses learns to hear the voice of God there in that mountain. And then moving forward to Exodus 24 and verses 15 through 17 the Bible tells us that there was a cloud of glory that was there on that mountain in fact the scriptures tells us it was like it was a devouring fire that was there on that mountain you remember I mentioned here a few weeks ago that that Moses, the Bible tells us that, that whenever he come down and the people saw him that he had to put a veil on his face Whenever you start looking through Scripture, I, that's missed me my entire life. Is it every time that, that Moses got into the presence of the people because he had been spending time with God, he had to put a mask on. Now, now can you imagine? I mean, kids, um, and kids gravitate toward adults. If they feel that, this morning, my little granddaughter, Sister Renee, had her, and, and next thing you know, one of them comes charging down in my direction, and and uh, Reagan, and then Emmy sees me, and she's got to get out and come charging in my direction. It's because they love me. It's like all of y'all love me. But, but, but think about this, that what if I would have had a mask on? That, that it would have been terrifying to them. And, and yet we read about that here is Moses in the presence of the Lord. And, and uh, so it is that, that Moses met uh, him there and only God's voice is heard in that place. And, 
And there's too many times that we want to avoid places of obscurity and places of solitude and places of quietness. Why is that? Because when you're in a quiet place, whenever you're in a place of of solitude, it's in those moments that the Lord starts narrowing down and looking into your heart and your spirit and saying, okay, I see the real you. I see your motives. I, I see who you are. I see what it is that privately is in your heart and in your spirit. I, I see or I know the thoughts and the intents of the heart there. And sometimes we get uncomfortable in places like that. But yet here it is that Moses is hearing the Lord's voice. The location is not so much as important as what took place there on that mountain. And then he comes down and it's not just another monotonous day where that he's out there minding his own business taking care of the sheep there walking down a path that he had gone down hundreds of times before it, it's it's a point where that that God is saying on this day, Moses, I'm gonna catch you off guard. I'm gonna speak. I'm gonna speak to you. I'm going to talk to you, Moses, and suddenly God appears to him in, in his living and burning presence. And what catches the attention of, of Moses there is a burning bush. It, it may have been one of those hardy thorn bushes that marks that region there. But, but look there in verse 4. The Bible says, And when, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him, <coughs> out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid. To look on God. And so in these verses here, verses 4 or 3 through 6, now you see the approach of Moses. Is that Moses now is walking in the direction of that burning bush. He, he turns aside, the Bible tells us, uh, to see that. He, he's willing to take some time. He's willing to, to show some interest there in uh, the, the middle of his many obligations, in the midst of, of, I don't know how many sheep that he was trying to take care of, but, but he's having to walk away from those sheep at that moment to go over to see what's taking place here at the burning bush. One of the huge challenges for our day now is uh, social media. And it's our phones and our attention spans. And that concerns me even as a preacher. Is that people's attention spans is uh, just very quick, 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 two-minute video, TikTok, uh, YouTube. They call them shorts now. And, and uh, these quick little videos, what are they doing? They're stimulating something in your mind called dopamine. And we are literally 
overdosing on dopamine because what they're, they're understanding is this, is it's spiking in our, our minds and there's like this, this release that we get whenever we begin to watch that. But what it's doing is it's diminishing our ability to pay attention. And so that whenever you sit down and you start trying to sort through and you try to start reading something, you try to start reading your Bible, it's because you, you, you're so stimulated by all these images that move and video clips and things that are popping around that it's difficult to find a focus and to sit down and to really look and meditate on Scripture. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that distraction is a huge problem in our society and in our day. Hey, hey, let, let's hurry up. Let, let's hurry up. And this is no, I'm just talking here, okay? Just let, let's get Brother Harrelson. Don't get him away from that pulpit and pray. And we got to start the service. And it was right tonight, okay? We got to get this thing going. We got to hurry up. We got to sing this song. And we got to have these prayer requests. And we got to have this announcement. And we got to hurry up. And we got to go. And we got to, we got to hurry. It's 718. We got to be gone from this place by 745. We got to be walking out of here by 8 o'clock. And here's what's happening to us is we're losing the ability to linger in the presence of the Lord. That can be alarming to me because know this, if there is holiness, that's going to be involved in your life and if there's relationship that you're going to have with the Lord there's got to be somewhere where you stay stop, I'm putting the brakes on my phone I'm putting the brakes on all the things that are stimulating me I've got to sit down and get into the presence of the Lord and so that's what happened there with, with Moses and Moses he, he took time he, he began to show a interest there and in, in the trap of carnality and the trap of business and the trap of, of entertainment and the trap of the escape mentality. And sometimes we miss things because we're not willing to turn aside and look at the things the Lord's trying to do to speak to us. And so it was that, that Moses steps over to that to that burning bush and he looks it over and uh, what he discovers is not a natural wonder but what he discovers is a supernatural sign it's a burning bush but there, it's not being consumed it's not burning it's not, it's not being uh, what do you call it extinguished that's not it what does a fire do consumes that's it that fire consumes, it burns things down. And, and yet Moses looked there and, and it's literally almost a physical miracle that is there. That fire is burning, but it is not consuming that plant. And so it is, is that burning bush literally revealed the very being of God later on. Whenever Moses is remembering, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about, that Moses is looking back and, and he's remembering. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24, what does the Bible say? That, that God is a consuming fire. And so whenever you get to that being repeated in Hebrews chapter 12 where he says our God is a consuming fire, what does that tell you? Is that the writer of Hebrews was very familiar with that Old Testament history there in the Pentateuch. 
what we see here in this deal is God calls out from that burning bush. Every person here has got to have a calling. And so how do you, how do you determine whether you're called or whether you just have an emotional burden? And uh, sometimes that's the trap of youth congress, the trap of youth camp, the trap of camp meeting, trap of men's conference, trap of women's conferences. We go to those things and we get an emotional high and we confuse a burden with a calling. I remember I told Brother Patterson I was called to preach in February of 1988. And I came home and he didn't let me preach Next month, he didn't let me preach two months later. He didn't let me preach three months later. Maybe he he knew I was going to be a long-winded preacher, and he thought, I better hold this fella back from preaching as long as I can. I think what Brother Patterson was doing was probably testing whether or not I was really called or whether it was just an emotional rush. And so 13 months later, he finally let me preach. And then it wasn't on a Sunday night. Y'all, Sunday night used to be the high time for Pentecostals. Man, if you preached on Sunday night, man, you had arrived. Brother Patterson said, no, you, you can't preach on Sunday night. I'll let you preach at the youth revival. So he let me preach on a Friday night at a youth revival. And that was in March of 1989. But what was he doing? He was working to try to figure out. I, I, I don't know if he was. I'm just saying this. Just you got to make a determination of whether or not you're called or whether this thing's just all oh, it's just an emotional rush. And sometimes if pastors or spiritual leaders, they're slow stepping in the direction whenever people say, Oh, I feel called. Why are they doing that? Is because here's the deal. If you get into it and you hadn't been called, the devil will beat your brains out. He, he will so do his best to destroy you because you didn't have a call and all you had was a burden. And Moses had to make a determination that whenever he got to that burning bush and that call was there, was God knew. said, Moses, you don't know what's on the other side of this burning bush, but there is a Pharaoh who is not going to be impressed with you. There's going to be people that they're going to pull up every mistake you owe. Oh, isn't this the guy that murdered somebody? He's got a stutter. He's got this, that, and the other. And the Lord was preparing Moses to say, look, Moses, just like in, in, in the book of Ezekiel, even in the book of Jeremiah, you've got to get your face and your forehead just as hard as a piece of flint. And so what was God doing? God was understanding the fact that I've got to uh, call this fellow out because when Moses is called, it's into a holy service because Scripture identifies Moses as a deliverer. Y'all okay? This, this sermon's getting away from me, okay? I got, a, I got me a new Bible, Brother Wells. It's like having a new gun. I feel like testing it out on y'all here tonight, and my clock's already about wound down, and I've got a long way to go. Like Brother Chad this morning, Brother Chad should have went into overtime this morning and give us another 15 minutes of it. 
But, but, but what is it? Here, here's Moses called in to, to holy service. Not only was there a revelation of the call of that burning bush, but the Lord was saying, listen to me, it's more than just a fire here, Moses. There literally is something about holiness, about anointing, about purpose, and about power. Listen to me, church. There's some of you here tonight that the Lord's got you in front of a burning bush. Take your time with that burning bush and let the Lord call you because six months from now, a year from now, you'll look back at this night and you'll say, you know what? That was what kicked it off. That's what started me in the direction and now it doesn't matter if the world is opposed to me or if the devil is opposed to me or even my own doubts try to collapse me. God's got a purpose for my life and I'm going to walk in there and talk to Pharaoh. I'm going to walk walk in there and I'm going to lead the children of Israel out of that land of Egypt and lead them into a promised land. I want to stimulate something in your heart here tonight that there's a spiritual gift that God has in mind for you, but you're going to have to pursue it. That's what Paul said. He said, earnestly pursue. You get after it. You go for it. And you literally get obsessed with If you're obsessed with something, you're going to be separated uh, to that. And, and yet, here's something else that we find here is that the Lord told him, uh, Moses, pull off your shoes. Well, what's that about? Well, number one, it's about reverence. Is that whenever you get into the presence of the Lord, there's, there's reverence. All right, let's go uphill right now. When I was growing up, you couldn't chew gum in church. When I was growing up, it wasn't running in and out while church was going on. When I was growing up, there was a lot of things. We didn't go to a bowling alley. We didn't go play goofy golf. We didn't watch television. We didn't listen to country music. We didn't sneak around and drink whiskey. We didn't sneak around and smoke cigarettes. We didn't dip and spit. We didn't cuss. But now we moved into an age now where it's an old Christian liberty. Oh, that's, that's my Christian liberty. How can you tell me that carnal behavior is Christian liberty? Come on, come on. Let's, let's talk with, let's, let's, let's talk about it. There are things that the Lord wants to separate out, out of, of us. And he says, listen to me. He said, I got a calling on your life, but you're going to have to pull your shoes off and you're going to have to get into the presence of the Lord so that you reverence and you honor me. I sat across the table on Friday afternoon and uh, met some, just some of the, I mean, just the sweetest people in the world, uh, brother and sister Robertson. And uh, Brother Robertson was being ordained. And uh, at, they're African-American. And so we got to looking on their, uh, their uh, application. I started noticing that they were from a place called, and I don't, it was Faith World Apostolic something or other. And it was by Bishop such and so up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And so we started, they started talking to us. And, uh, and so, so 
Brother Robertson started talking about those old, those old bishops. And uh, it's like, well, tell me about their preaching and their teaching. They said it was nothing for us on Sunday night to get to church and the old bishop delight to wax eloquent for two hours. And uh, so what, what, were they ta- what were they talking about? And, and uh, said it was apostolic doctrine. It was the new birth. It was the oneness of God. It was God robed in flesh. He said it was a call to holiness. I said, what, what did that look like? He said, oh, they were strict. And then his wife spoke up. She said, yeah, they, they were strict. She said, where were some of those old saints in the church? They'd call you out. She said, you'd get up to go, and you'd get up to go to the platform to sing, and, and one of those old elderly, they called them mothers, said, one of those old elderly mothers said, set up and say, hey, stop it, stop it. You, you can't sing tonight. So they put their finger up, and they walk back, and they sit back down. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, said they, they were strict. They knew something about holiness. You try that these days in this church. Oh, dear God. Oh, my Lord. People be offended, got their feelings hurt, upset, such and so. But here's the deal. Whenever I look at the spiritual power in my naysayers, you got about as much spiritual power as a firecracker. I don't want firecracker power praying for me. I want somebody that's got some real anointed Holy Ghost power. And what was Moses saying? What did God tell Moses? He said, Moses, pull off your shoes and get in here and have a matter of reverence and honor for me. Here's something else that's missing. We want our burning bush experiences, but we don't want to submit. Oh, Lord, I see that revelation. Pull off your shoes. Oh, Lord, I can't pull my shoes off. I can't let you have that much control in my life. And so what happens is is the church, as we move forward in this Laodicean age, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. I want our church to rise up and just say, you know what, I want the burning bush, but I also want to pull my shoes off so that whenever I pull my shoes off, I can say, God, I reverence you, I honor you, I exalt you. something else and this is for another message but here's something else the Bible says is the Bible says that Moses had a staff and here's what the Lord does he's like Moses let me show you something about that staff there's power in that staff and he says well how, how, how do you how am I going to know and he says throw that thing on the ground and the Bible says he threw it on the ground and the next thing you know it turns into a snake and then the Lord tells Moses, Moses, pick, pick, pick the snake up. I'm like, oh my Lord, pick that snake up. And the Lord says, don't get him by the head, pick him up by the tail. And what does Moses do? Moses reaches and kind of carefully picks it up by the tail, and that serpent turns in back into a rod. I know there's some people that they don't believe that. They don't, oh, I just don't believe that. 
I'm going to pick and choose what I believe in the Bible. The Bible is kind of like a buffet to me. I'm just going to, I'm going to eat the banana pudding and I'm going to eat the mashed potatoes and gravy, but I'm not interested in the rutabagas. I'm not interested in the green beans. I'm not interested. I just won't give me the country fried steak. That's sometimes the attitude that we have toward the Scriptures. We want to pick and choose. And the Lord's like, pull your shoes off, throw your rod down, pick that thing up. But here's another scary part is here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he tells Moses, Moses, take your hand and slip it inside of your coat. And you know what he does? He does that. And then when he pulls it out, it's like all of a sudden he is literally terrified because his hand has turned in. It's got leprosy. It is eat up. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of to tell you that your flesh is so corrupt and your flesh is no good and if there's not a covering of the Holy Ghost then we're sunk and so what does the Lord do the Lord says put your hand back in your your cloak there and he he puts it back in and then he pulls it out and his hand is clean and here's what I'm getting at in this day is know this if you're going to have spiritual authority in your life there's got to be some submission to God there, there has got to be some submission to the Lord that whenever the Lord says, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. Well, well Lord, you yet made Brother Walters do that. Why, why, I, mean, I mean, come on. And, and here's the bigger question is how powerfully used do you want to be for God? You, you want to lead a bunch of children out of their captivity? You want to walk in there and tell Pharaoh, listen to me, Pharaoh, I'm coming here because God sent me. Listen to me, church. It's not that a pastor's trying to control you or trying to wreck your life. What I'm trying to do is to tell you that if there's some things you turn loose of and if there's some things that you let go of, then God is going to work and minister in your life. And whenever you turn around and begin to look in the other direction, you're going to say, thank God that I was willing to pull my shoes off. Thank God that I was willing to throw that rod down. Thank God that I was willing to put my hand in my coat there. Even though it looked leprous, when I put it back in there again, God, he has healed me. I want us to stand here tonight. I've got a whole bunch left. But I just want, I just believe this, church. We're right here. We're teetering right now. And the Lord wants us to fall into a direction where that there's authority in your life, where there is power in your life, where there is strength in your life, but there's a price tag. There's a matter of separation. There's a matter of hearing the voice of God to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to remove myself and I'm pulling myself away from those matters and those things. Oh, I believe when I get to heaven... Oh, when I get to heaven. I don't want the Lord saying, well, Philip, if you'd have just, you'd have just listened to me and if you'd have just listened to and let go of this. And for some of us, it's not lifestyle. For, for, some, of it, for some of us, it's, it's attitudes. It's bitterness. It's gotten so deeply.
deeply rooted in our hearts. It's an unforgiving spirit. It's a gossiping tongue. It's tail-bearing. It's backbiting. And those things hold us back from being used like the Lord really wants to use us. Pull your shirt, pull your shoes off, Dothan. Cast down your rod, Dothan. Let the Lord use you. Lord, I pray right now. I felt the liberty and the authority, Lord, of your spirit while I have preached. And Lord, I truly believe, God, that you've got us at a certain place. Lord, in, in February of 2023, there's so many things, God, that you want to draw us to. And I pray, Lord, tonight, don't let us just stand there and look at a burning bush with our mouths open and, and, and Lord, making excuses. Help us, Lord, to do what you have called us to do to the greatest and fullest ability of our lives and let your purpose, God, be so invested in our spirits so that we fulfill, God, your great commission. In Jesus' name I pray. Jesus' name. These altars are open here tonight, church. The Lord's calling. The Lord's seeking. The Lord is pursuing. Hear the voice of the Lord here tonight. There's so many positive things that God wants to do with every single one of us.